Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Adam Pranica. I'm your other host, Benjamin R. Harrison. Ben, we occasionally get gifts from our viewers, and uh, occasionally we give gifts to each other, don't we? That's true, Adam. I recently received a box in the mail from uh, you, which doesn't typically happen. Who, me? And inside of it was something really special, something I was not expecting (laughs) at all. It is a box of Star Trek The Next Generation portfolio prints trading cards series two yeah you want to open some cards with me ben the crowd spoke we we are we it has been demanded that we yeah. that we fill out the the back nine of this bit the large asmr community in our viewership <laughs> has demanded that we open more cards uh, did you also get a box of these ben or am i going I, solo i did i bought myself a box as well um oh good because I know that that's how you did it when when you uh, surprised me with series one. So uh, yeah, let's let's rip into them. Let's open a pack or two. The game is five cards done. The game is exceedingly simple. Or this is just the card there. Time to pluck a pigeon. Ah, uh, nothing like a fresh box. Hmm. I've got uh, box number forty-one twenty-nine here, Adam. Oh, I've got five eight six seven. Hmm. I was wondering if 5,000 was the limit, but sounds like not. Oh, 6,000 is the limit. I'm going to go box diving into, like, the middle. Oh. Because I feel like there's... We did find like there's some, a like... way that they're dropping uh, autographed cards into it. Like, I, I remember coming out of the gate right away with an autograph card. Yeah. And then, and then there was one at the end and one in the middle. Do you feel like that's how it went for you? Well, I had one in my last pack that I opened, but I don't I, I don't feel confident that they were still really in order by the time I opened that that pack, so I'm going straight to the bottom. I'm taking one right off the top. I'm gonna see if I can cheat my way to an autograph card right out <laughs> of the gate. Alright. Alright. I am opening the inaugural card of series two. This is gonna be exciting. They're all gonna be new. Yeah. Uh, sadly, no autograph cards for me this time. <laughs> um, what what I do have is the Big Goodbye, which is one of those holodeck fun and games episodes. Yeah, where uh, where Beverly swallows her chewing gum. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Descent Part One, the Best of Both Worlds Part One, oh. Ship in a Bottle. That was the Moriarty episode. Yeah. And the Dauphin, which is a word I can't pronounce, but you can. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the chocolate pudding episode. It sure is. I got one for symbiosis. <laughs> uh, I've I've got uh, one for Cupid, which uh, is uh, Worf as a merry man. Mm. It's got the phrase "the issue with hats." <laughs> <laughs> It's, I guess it's kind of, uh, this one's kind of styled like a magazine uh, cover. 
Oh yeah. In a, in a way, I guess. So uh, that's fun. There's even a little um, a little uh, uh, barcode at the bottom with one one seven zero one D underneath it. That's that's a fun that's a fun take. I've yeah, got. You got to run that through your local grocery store's checkout. Mm-hmm. See what happens. <laughs> See if I don't get arrested and banned from going to the store ever again. Yeah, that Whole Foods is going to be really pissed off at you. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, one for the most toys, <laughs> uh, which is fun. It's actually an action figure of Data, uh, and it looks like kind of like cheesy 1950s action figure box art. Mm. Got one for Allegiance, that one where Picard is in prison with the with the Bolian cadet and the uh, really loafy peacenik with the Sydney Opera House hat. And the, oh, uh, and they're eating fish biscuits? Yeah, yeah. And Adam, the last card I got is uh, the only card, I think, in the whole series that gets a greatest Gen Con 2017-style air horn. What? Yep, I got the card for Darmok. Wow. That's a good card to get right out of the gate. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's got a. Uh, it's got the Talarian captain. Uh, it's got the Tamarian captain holding the two knives up, pointing down, uh, holding them up in a way that Picard at first found was threatening. Yeah, this is this is great. <laughs> this is not a Shaka when the walls fell type situation at all, Adam. It feels good to open up some fresh cards. Feels good to open up some fresh cards. I will concur with that the score at this point is zero to zero <laughs> on autograph cards yeah no now at some point i i sat down and like put all of my cards in in numerical order adam yeah i did too i'm wondering if i'm gonna feel weird slipping these into that or if they have to be their own separate stack oh i think i'm gonna slip mine right in <laughs> I think I've got to. I just want one pile. One unifying pile. Wow. That is that's aggressive, Adam. But you do you, man. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna set them aside and think about it. Uh, one thing that we will not be setting aside is our episode of the day. It is season five, episode fifteen. Power play. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Time to ramble on about something everyone knows. The entrepreneur is doing a distress call mission, and uh, they they pull the uh, they pull it the ship into a angle space out in front of a planet that's got some real bad uh, electromagnetic crap going on in the atmosphere. The distress signal it turns out is a Starfleet subspace distress signal, but a class that hasn't been used for a long time. There hasn't been a Daedalus class in service for what? 172 years, sir. I mean, you know how much I hate doing research, man. I actually looked this up. One of the ugly starships <laughs> in in the fleet, I would say. Uh, a starship only a mother could love, or its captain, <laughs> I guess. A, a, a starship with a face fit for radio? Yeah, yeah. Radio face starship for sure. Pretty gross. The sort of starship that you don't mind losing... Once in a while. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's 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 rough. That's yeah. like it replaces the saucer with a uh, with a cue ball. Yeah, it's a real real schnoz on that one. 
Yeah, stick with the saucer, Starfleet. Yeah. This looks like a real design-by-committee type starship, that dreadnought. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they discover that there was, in fact, a, a ship that went missing in the, in, uh, in the area about 200 years ago. The USS Essex, under the command of Captain Bryce Schumer. The Essex. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kevin. Why? What do you know about it? <laughs> it is a... Extreme challenge for my shibilant ash. <laughs> well, I don't think they were thinking of you when they named it. Right at. <laughs> Kevin, I think that the the ego that you must have as a doubt is is excusable because you are all-powerful, but what you have to realize is nobody has ever heard of you in this time period, and they're not thinking... Kevin Uxbridge will be a repeat guest on a podcast and will need to be able to say all the names of the spaceships in this universe. I'm a man of special conscience. It's not. It's obviously not keeping you off this show. <laughs> yeah, uh, neither of its hosts have a special conscience when it comes to uh, <laughs> including Kevin in most conversations. I was thinking about how how much an effect that character has had on us and how yeah. how much we see the show through the eyes of, of Kevin. It's the opposite of seeing something through the eyes of a child. Yeah. Kevin's sort of our McDuff of mm. the show. He just sort of appears <laughs> as if he's been there the whole time. Right, yeah. If we come up with another, like, we don't have that many episodes left to to uh, develop the, the mythos of of that character, you know? We don't have many episodes left to sell merch for. <laughs> yeah, and we haven't even done a, a Kevin Uxbridge piece of merchandise yet. I I've got to believe that's what's next. Maybe our maybe our tour T-shirt uh, has a has a has an Uxbridge thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Someone sent in that Uxbridge ice cream graphic a while ago. It was one of my favorite things. Gonna do something. Oh yeah, with that. that was great. Yeah. yeah. Well. Let's just uh, let's table that for now and go on with this this episode. They're thinking this this is you know kind of kind of a long shot that we're actually going to rescue anybody here, but we got to look into it. The way this planet's atmosphere works, they're not really able to pinpoint anything. But it's uh, it's too stormy to beam down on, so they decide to send a bunk bed shuttle instead. Yeah, yeah they uh, they they get out a flat pack and Riker pulls out the instructions. They assemble it. Um, there's always like a couple of little pieces of hardware left over at the end and that you wonder like, were they including extras or did I miss a step? They consider getting a cordless drill with a hex head bit Mm. on it, but then they, they're like too lazy and instead just use that stupid wrench that comes with it. Yeah. The, the free cheap ass (laughs) Allen wrench that comes with the, (laughs) with the kit. You know, perhaps the height of hubris is that they t- then take that Allen wrench and stick it in the tray in the top of the the toolbox that their dad gave them when they moved into their first apartment. Yeah, like they're ever going to use it again. Yeah, come on. <laughs> what we get when they get on board the shuttle, Ben, is a really bad flying scene. <laughs> it seems really whack. <laughs> it's It's three people in the shuttle... It's uh, it's Data, Riker, and Troy. I like that they had their seatbelts on. I thought that Troy was a bit of an asshole to take the middle seat. It can be tempting when you're the only person in the back seat to, to sit bitch, but 
it's like it really obstructs the driver's view out of the rearview mirror. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a pretty big blind spot in the flat pack shuttle, and I think enough bad things have happened flying flat packs around mm-hmm. that flat pack shuttle is a bad a bad sign. It's a bad <laughs> omen. Not yeah. a great uh, service record for these ships. Yeah, Pervious don't exactly have a rich history of going down on planet surfaces, do they? No, not at all. I think, you you want to know my theory on that? Lay it on me. It's too hard to make a good-looking Previa that's, you know, full size, so they don't want to mess them up. When sitting in the new Previa, I feel like I'm ready to navigate space and time. Yeah. You know, they don't want to make a one-to-one Previa that is crash-landed. You see them occasionally in the shuttle bay, like a, like a Previa that's a good 10 feet tall and 35 feet long. A new standard by which all minivans will be judged. But... They never, they never actually do that with uh, the crash-landed ones. Yeah, that's true. And getting back to the foreshadowing, I mean, nothing good ever happens when Deanna Troy is on a shuttle either. <laughs> yeah. The last time Troy was on a shuttle, it crashed and Tashiar was killed by a poop monster. That was, that was a sad one. Yeah, so sort of an ominous beginning. Right. So they get down to the uh they're they're getting down through the atmosphere and the electromagnetism in the in the storm takes their thrusters out then it fucks up their impulse generators and uh it's a it's a banger fiesta on the way through the atmosphere yeah they're really getting rocked and they go in for a crash landing and they they step out of this shuttlecraft there's a fun scene where the like the hatch like the like explosive bolts in the hatch go and and it and the like circle flies across the the surface of the uh, of the planet they step out and they're like LV426 what are you doing here there's like 16 hex head bolts yeah. and a bunch of wood laminate flying everywhere <laughs> yeah Riker's yeah. like it took me forever to assemble that hatch <laughs> And Troy's like, do you think we should go back? And he's like, oh, it's all re- all the way on the other side of town. I don't want to have to stand in line at the fucking at the fucking yeah. customer service counter. Ikea on a weekend? Are you crazy? It was cheap enough. Let's just call it a loss. You know, yeah. fool me once, shame on you. Yeah, you're not wrong about the LV-426 vibes. It is really dark and really stormy. Mm-hmm. Not a great place to crash land. And, uh... And uh, they're looking around, and they look up in the sky, and there are, like, luminous light uh, shows coming toward them. They're, it's like it's like they went to uh, adult night at the planetarium, looking up at the sky. Oh, what happens on adult night at the planetarium, Ben? They have, like, a laser show, and you can drink. Oh. I, Isn't that I, a thing? I, uh, my mind went elsewhere. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, they project pornography against a dome. Really distort the shit out of it. Hey, uh, you want to go down to the planetarium and see laser dongs? <laughs> laser dongs in the 21st century? I sure do, Adam. It's just uh, it's just Pink Floyd mm-hmm. and laser dongs. Yeah. I've always found that, uh, that adult material is best, best consumed in a group setting. And it syncs up perfectly with Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yeah. 
This is bad news for the away team. It's not really the Dustbuster Club you want to lose, right? It is the three most senior people from the bridge that you could you could get if you sent anyone other than Picard. Yeah, and we know they can't be beamed back up, so this is a this is a heady time down there. Yeah. Not only that, Troy's starting to get a read on this storm. It seems like there's there's something living about it. Right. And that's not good. Yeah, and uh, we can cut this out if we want, but I just got distracted by a piece of trivia that popped up on my screen. It says, Marina Sirtis broke her coccyx shooting this scene. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, she uh, she was the only person who performed the stunt herself of flying back when they get hit by the, the energy cloud. Oh. And uh, she later reflected that anyone could have done it, really, because the face was barely even visible. And, uh, man, that sucks. Coxic's no fun to break. Uh, that means she's sitting on a donut for a while after that, right? Yeah, man. This is something we talk about a little bit in our um, in our special, special donors-only episode that's coming out uh, around the time of the Max Fun Drive in the donor feed. Um, she she burned herself in the filming of Star Trek Generations because there was some like explosion scene on the bridge and she is supposed to like run and take a seat at at the helm and uh, and she sat down on a piece of flaming crapola that you know burst out of one of the panels. What's up with Marina Sirtis only injuring her butt on this show? <laughs> I like that she does her own stunts like that. That's pretty. That's pretty fucking badass. Yeah, I like that too. Good on ya. Speaking of doing your own stunts, O'Brien is like, "Hey, I'm always looking for more stuff to do on this show. Why don't I risk my life and beam down to this planet with some pattern enhancers, make a laser triangle around these guys, and beam everybody back up to the ship?" Yeah, on the ship they've lost contact with the shuttle. And it's almost dinner time when O'Brien's like, I got to get the fuck off this ship. (laughs) He proposes going down there with the pattern enhancers. And his plan is made clear that it's only a 50-50 chance of of survival for him. And Worf is like, yeah, sounds pretty good, dude. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like an acceptable risk for him. (laughs) And like very few decisions on this show it is made instantly and without much regard for the danger yeah i think it really o- makes o'brien look like a hero yeah i mean like it also makes it look like he's very expendable in the minds of the yeah. senior staff uh but yeah like this is a pretty brave thing he does so he grabs th- uh three giant like novelty sized crayola crayons <laughs> beams down to the surface and he sets him up on little tripods around the group and he's about to turn on the third of the of these when they all get blasted and of the four of them that are lying there unconscious unconscious O'Brien, Troy and Data get energy orbs that slip into their chests there is an energy orb over Riker but it uh, it like zips off before entering him, and uh, and he like wakes up and shakes his head and turns on the last pattern enhancer, and they they get beamed out of there, and the, they like wake up in six bay, and uh, 
they're uh, they're in good shape, you know. No harm, no foul. Yeah, that was a close one. Is the vibe like they got him out of there? E, but they're fine. Yeah, and that's the end of the episode. It was a good one, Adam. Did you like this episode? Yeah, I did. I mean, it's it's nice to just get a a mission that just goes perfectly. I wish we'd found out what happened to the Essex, but I almost like that they're able to leave that as kind of an ambiguous <laughs> ending. You know, like I feel like in this world, there wouldn't always be a perfect bow on everything. You know, the missions could be a lot more efficient if they just get to a place, drop a probe and move on. And that's what they do here. Mm-hmm. This way you can do like 10 missions in a single episode. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> yeah, we're only like nine minutes into the show. <laughs> we've got another uh, We've got another 35 minutes to go. Yeah. So that is not what happens, <laughs> unfortunately. They return to their stations pretty much immediately. Ready for duty, sir. They go from sick bay back to the bridge. The the vibe we get from Troy is that she's a little disoriented when she wakes up. They're like, you know, like the, the away team is, is getting used to the fact that they didn't buy the farm. But uh, it's it's nicely settled the way Troy is acting a little bit strange, but not totally. Right. They're not giving her the Yulian treatment. Yeah. The, the Yulian treatment is really going to go down in, in the history books as the most unsubtle way of treating a bad guy yeah i thought they would have known better but that was a real that was a real season one way of telling the viewer that a bad guy was on the ship yeah they hop in the elevator and data starts um starts like you know giving them some some like incidental rundown of what happened and uh and he like there's a little glitch in his in his voice. We might be able to employ virtual imaging in order to interpolate <laughs> missing data. And uh, Picard is like, "Fuck was that?" <laughs> data data plays it off like, "Oh, there's just a, um, a speech processor problem or something," and I'll uh, I'll run some diagnostics. Not the first time he's been struck by lightning. Right. Or electrocuted. So this is this is a form of recovery that he's familiar with. But also not the first time that Data has been under the sway of an external control and made immeasurably dangerous. Right. Still not wearing a shot collar. Yeah, or a or a fucking Star Wars restraining bolt. Like yeah. this is once a season now that the ship is put in impossible amounts of peril because Data is. Uh, controlled by a malevolent external force. Yeah. So they start to... Uh, he, he he takes his, his seat at Ops and he's like, hey guys, like I think what we want to do is start scanning this planet in the polar region. And Riker's like, oh, that sounds nice, but first let's continue the scan that we were already doing. And Data's like, no, I hmm. really want to do it in the polar region. And Riker's like, I heard you the first time, Data, but... The thing is, Ben, when you want to do something in the polar region, you can't just force it. Right. Both both parties need to be willing to scan the polar region. There's some prep involved in, in doing some stuff in the polar region, you know? You want to take a really thorough shower. 
Right. First you, of all. You want to watch what you eat for a couple yeah. of days ahead of time. Yeah. You might want to you might want to prepare with a toy. <laughs> yeah, and the thing about Riker is uh he does not give consent for a scan of the polar region even though Data very much wants to do so. Right. And and you know, like I think we've always I think we've all been there where there's some some idea that pops in our head that we think would be really fun to explore right in the moment, in the height of passion. Maybe but, Riker had a heavy lunch. <laughs> right, exactly. And uh, and and Riker's bag is not to is, is not to uh, succumb to a, a pressuring lover. You know, what's good right. for the goose is good for the gander, as far as Riker is concerned. Yeah, and uh, and Data's sort of being a bad scanner here, isn't he? Yeah, because they. They start to do what Riker asked, and then, like, the controls get locked out, and they are headed for the polar region, whether <laughs> Riker likes it or not. And uh, this makes everyone very uncomfortable. Right. Um, meanwhile, Troy is in the ready room with the captain, and she's kind of got the captain talked into the idea of a polar region situation himself picard was like well i've i hadn't really thought about exploring the polar region before until you brought it up yeah that definitely wasn't wasn't something that picard would have ever suggested himself but he's good giving and game and he has uh, an open mind about where to scan yeah and i mean like one of the things about being a uh you know a a consenting lover is not making somebody feel bad just because they want something that you don't necessarily want. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he's entertaining the idea, you know? He's yeah. Trying, he's trying to be accommodating of the fact that they don't necessarily have the same menu. He's going to have a glass of wine and think about it. Yeah. So as as he is, as he is warming up to this idea, they, we cut back to the bridge and the Helm has been locked out. Ensign Rowe is sitting there, and she's like, what the fuck? Like, I can't fucking, like, none of these buttons work anymore. In a purely Ensign Rowe kind of way, like, her frustration is so much more angry than a Wesley <laughs> frustration at the same station, you know? Yeah. It's and, great. Yeah, and, like, Riker walks over to Data, and he's like, hey, what the fuck, buddy? Like, <laughs> this is not what we talked about. And Data grabs Riker, and, and like, suddenly O'Brien is there, like, like, throwing molly wops around Roe turns around she's fucking she fucking has a phaser ready to go and she like bullseyes o'brien and uh and and riker like yells for security people are getting tossed all over the place and we get an extended phaser fire scene on the bridge right yeah it's great I, I kind of wished Roe would have gone for Data before she went for O'Brien. Like, Data's right next to her, and she's shooting yeah. across the bridge at O'Brien. There's so much downrange of her that that's an interesting choice. I wonder if it's because he's got the high ground. Yeah. Well, anyways, the uh, the sound of all the uh, uh, of all the combat taking place is audible inside the ready room. So Troy does the uh, the Star Trek double-handed punch into the back on Captain Picard. Yeah, chops an axe handle into the back (laughs) of his neck. (laughs) I love that. I love that move. Yeah, and Picard's down in a heap. Has anybody ever demonstrated that to be an effective combat technique, or is that just a silly thing that is canonical Trek? 
the thing about that is when you clasp your fingers and use your hand as a weapon that way, you break your fingers <laughs> when you hit someone with it. So I don't understand exactly how that's supposed to work. Yeah. Well, Riker is thinking fast and they haven't stunned him. Like he didn't, he didn't take a phaser hit the way Worf did. Um, I know, I guess Worf doesn't get phasered either. I think just O'Brien gets hit, but he like, he like dusts it off. Right. He like, like brushes some dirt off his shoulder and he's like <laughs> nice try asshole yeah they're shooting phasers and then on the, and then they're dialing up the phasers for the next shot and they're they're like incrementally doing it because the phaser fire isn't taking them down yeah and they don't want to just start on kill like you don't want to set the phaser to gore and then shoot at o'brien for the first time right that's over so- the line so it seems like the the plan with these three mind-controlled crewmen is they're going to run down to engineering and take over the ship from there because Riker has transferred the command codes off of the bridge. But the second they're in the in the elevator, Riker is like is like, uh, well, actually, we'll just have these command codes on the bridge after all, and <laughs> we'll lock out the we'll lock out the uh, the elevator. And um, there's a lot of, like, fun back and forth where they're trying to override the turbo lift and then, you know, O'Brien re-overrides the turbo lift and then they close the, uh, the, the emergency bulkhead below the deck that they're on so the, they have to get out. And where they wind up is in 10 forward. It's a fun series where you see just what you can do to different parts of the ship from different parts of the ship. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, like there's... Um... There's sort of a, a large amount of things that Data can do to the ship just by breaking into a bulkhead and, like, hot-wiring uh, some isolinear chips. Right, because the ship is run by a central computer, and the access points of that are literally any surface that has some kind of glossiness to it, basically. Right, right. <laughs> like, like uh, any nonstick surface you can control <laughs> the ship from. Right, and so like at one point, like in the hallway, he just like he just like hauls off into the the black glass on the on the walls, and uh, he like digs his fingers in into the substrate under there like almost like a temple of doom style rips the ship's heart out and holds it pumping over his head yeah it's got to be terrifying to try to out program data in a situation like this yeah you got to know your host like the only advantage you have is doing something before him Mm -hmm. because if you do something at the same time as him it's already too late they get to 10 forward and one of the people that's in 10 forward adam is uh, is Keiko O'Brien, and she's taken her screaming baby down there. I find this really annoying. <laughs> when you're like at a, you're in a, in a third space, you know, like the the corner coffee shop or or the bar room, trying to have a grown up hang with other grown ups, and there is a screaming infant present. Like it's one thing if it's on a plane. Like people have to move their babies across the country from time to time. That's very annoying, but un- understandable. I don't understand why Keiko needs to bring her baby to 10 forward. The one, like, chill hang there is on the entire ship. 
especially because we know how much she hates her husband. <laughs> Knowing that O'Brien's at work, like that's prime time to just hang out in your condo. Right. Like I'd be at home enjoying my alone time. Like the time to be in Ten Forward is when O'Brien's at home. Yeah. So the the three members of the takeover crew come into Ten Forward and and among them is is uh, Keiko's husband Miles and they uh they are even more at odds than usual because because O'Brien, Troy and Data are basically going to turn Ten Forward into a hostage situation. And we get a really prolonged phaser fire, glass table shattering scene here. Like, yeah. it does not go quietly. No. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of tables get smashed. I mean, they've, they've really just gotten them back together uh, in the wake of disaster. And, uh, I, and I think that this is, this is especially exacerbated by the fact that the, you know, Data, O'Brien, and Troy are more or less invincible. Like, they cannot be taken down by normal phaser fire alone. And, uh, and, and they're blasting away. Like, they're, they're shooting harder and more ruthlessly than, than they need to. Like, like Troy is just like bullseyeing like women and children that are that happen to be in the room. It's like Jesus fuck. Like those people weren't a threat. They were just scrambling to get out the door. Yeah, they're really cold blooded. Yeah, you ever read the book Save the Cat, Adam? No, I haven't. It's a uh, so it's a screenwriting book by the guy that wrote uh, the classic children's film Blank Check. Hmm. And um, he's someone you want to learn screenwriting from. <laughs> a lot of people say it's like the best screenwriting book. And there's definitely, definitely things about it that I think are, are great. But um, one of his central tenets is that um, you, you show the, the hero, the, the main character doing something noble uh, to to establish that they're the good guy early on, you know, and it, mm-hmm. that's that's what saving the cat is. I feel like you show somebody uh, killing the cat to establish that they're a villain, and this this scene achieves that. You know, they are they are using these phasers in a way that is really upsetting to anybody that knows how Starfleet officers normally behave. Right, and it's a and it feels like a real violation in a in a what's supposed to be a safe public space like 10 forward. I'm just saying it's a good thing they don't find that nubby ass rifle that Guinan keeps under the bar. This is another 10 forward scene completely devoid of Guinan and they could have staged this scene somewhere else and not have it be so obvious that that she's gone. Like Guinan is so useful and important and such a beloved figure that it's hard to ignore her absence in scenes like this. And and not to jump ahead, but like these characters that have inhabited our uh, otherwise heroes is um, are are characters that I would have loved to see interact with Guinan. I yeah exactly. What you don't get here is a hostage negotiation scene involving Guinan, which would have been fascinating. Right. Yeah, like she would be the Sabian and they would be the uh the uh the Danny Roman, you know, like 
they like she she would be the Kevin Spacey to Troy's Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know where you're gonna plug in a Sabian and Tim Forward, Ben. <laughs> Gross. Obviously, no. You know that goes in Guinan's office across the hallway, Adam. Right. Right. It is a guiding principle of a star treaty base. Have you can't find it within yourself to stand up, tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. I'm really embarrassed that I even knew what you were talking about there. Throughout the episode, you get. O'Brien being a real dick to Keiko. Mm-hmm. And Ben, it made me wonder, are we sure O'Brien has really been body snatched or is he just <laughs> using this as an excuse to break up with Keiko? <laughs> it's like uh it's like George Costanza finding out that a woman could potentially think he's gay and <laughs> therefore he doesn't have to break up with her. <laughs> like if we didn't see that little ball of light go into O'Brien, he might just be along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, not much has changed between him and Keiko. He finally sees a way out of his marriage. Yeah. The bridge starts like getting getting on the phone with uh with the uh the hostage takers and they're, you know, trying to negotiate for medical attention for the people that took phaser fire and Picard even offers to, you know, trade himself for the hostages. And when he, when he proposes this trade, we get a little bit of character development on our antagonist. So it's during this scene that we understand that the people who are possessing the bodies of, of Troy and data and O'Brien also have an understanding of those characters knowledge. Mm hmm. And so when Picard proposes this prisoner exchange, the Troy figure's like, oh yeah, like Picard's way more valuable. And here's how I know this. It's because Troy knows this. Right. And I mean, that explains how they knew how to do all the shit that they did to get to 10 forward. Yeah. Um, It's not just like blank puppet mastering. It's also like puppet mastering while knowing how the puppet works. Yeah. it's Which is scary, right? Like they, they have all of the strengths and abilities of the character that they have inhabited plus the the malevolent intelligence of the character that inhabited them it's a little bit borgsy isn't it yeah yeah they are they're a bit a bit locutacy yeah and uh and so picard goes down to 10 forward and he's like guys guys let's fucking take a chill pill okay like What's the deal? You want us to go to the polar region? We'll go to the polar region. Like, that seems pretty reasonable. <laughs> Look, you don't have to make all these threats about going to the polar region. If it's something you really want to do that bad, we can do it. Yeah, like, you could have just asked. <laughs> like, we were ready to do it before you started punching and phasering people. Look at this glass all over the place. Yeah, and if you're, like, if you're Troy, you know, if you know what Troy knows, you know that I'm, like, a pretty helpful dude, you know? I'm reflexively a pretty charitable guy. Like, yeah. why, why, are, we, why are we doing this in this mo- the most confrontational way possible? So Picard radios up to the bridge. He's like, look, guys, we're going to start doing Polar Region, but we're going to go real slow. Mm-hmm. And so Riker takes this as a sign to, as slowly as possible, move the ship. And as soon as, as soon as they realize this on ten forward, they're like, "All right, cool, we're going to the polar region, just like this, I've always wanted." This is great. <laughs> this feels awesome. 
Um, so the 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 deal here is that they're gonna they're using the slowness to put a couple of gambits in play, and one of them is that Ensign Rowe and Jordy are going to take some some strangely modified equipment into a Jeffrey's tube that circles right over top of ten forward, and uh, make a like a pinhole punch in the in the ceiling. And see if they can use this thing to isolate the three compromised characters in uh, in one spot, and and potentially even get their get their orb out of them. Yeah, the idea is that they'll shoot a pain ray at them. That'll that'll get the orbs out of the out of our three officers. But the thing is, Ben, like, why don't they just do the whole room like this? It's very complicated. They've got to they got to get all three crew members into the circle before they hit the button. <laughs> they make it very clear that uh, there won't be any permanent damage to O'Brien, Troy, or Data when they shoot the pain gun at them. Yeah, but they don't think to just flood the room with the pain ray. Yeah, I mean, there could have been one line of dialogue like, you know, we we don't have a piece of equipment that will spread it that wide or or you know like you know we uh we only have a normal and a telephoto lens for this pain ray we don't have a yeah. wide angle yeah yeah and you can guess what happens row gets the three into the circle I'm only going to be able to shut down the force field for about seven seconds before the computer compensates well if you're the right seven seconds it'll be enough she's ready to fire and then as she's firing one of them walks out of the circle And it's the one that you don't want to walk out, it's Data. Yeah. He walks yeah. out, and when he sees what's going on, he, like, he, Darth Vader's Captain Picard. Picard the bridge! Abort immediately! You know, he gets him in that, in that neck pinch and raises him up over his head. In, uh, in Undertaker parlance, he begins a choke slam on him without <laughs> the slam. <laughs> uh... <laughs> That you're, wasn't you're, for you, Ben. You're going to have to run that by our friends over at the Tights and Fights podcast, Adam. This is this is another moment. I mean, it's it's very clear at this point that Data is the most frightening character of all three. He's totally unhinged. Yeah. In in this scene where he almost kills Picard, but he is also just super aggro. Like he hates yeah. Worf. He's, He's much more aggro than the other two. Yeah. Like. They all have, like, the three all have the same goal, but Data is much less scrupulous in how he pursues that goal. Which is great writing, I feel like. Like, you make the most, you make the crazy one inhabit Data because Data is the least crazy ordinarily. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's fun to see Spiner, like, sink his teeth into that. I think that all yeah. three actors do a great job of really recharacterizing themselves. Yeah. Troy. Yeah does not feel like Troy. Like, this is another example of Marina Sirtis really, like, strutting her stuff, showing what a fucking good actor she is. Yeah. And and how underutilized she's been heretofore. It's not just her dialogue, it's not just her delivery, but it's, it's a physicality, too. It's how Absolutely. she walks, it's her posture, it's how she uses her hands. Like, all mm-hmm. of these subtleties add up into how you develop a character. 
So it's, I think it's around here that that Troy reveals to Picard that she is, in fact, inhabited by the conscience of Captain Bryce, a the captain of the USS Essex, the the uh, <laughs> the cue ball class starship that crashed here long ago, and. Um, and she's like, listen, like our entire crew is stranded in this like energy field down there. And you don't understand what it's been like. We've been disembodied for 200 years. It's, it fucking sucks. And <laughs> so all we want is for you to beam up the, the remains of these, of these crewmen and we'll take them back to Earth, give them a proper burial. And that'll be that. And, and Picard is like, dick. Like you could have just asked. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> like that. Like we're in the fucking Federation. That's fine. Like I understand your your super cranks about being in the storm for two hundred years, <laughs> but you could have been polite about it. Yeah. They. Uh, it's sort of the binary way of asking a favor. Totally. They were afraid of uh, having been told no. Right. My, my, my love is a So they they have a problem because like these these Essex crewmen and it's like it's like the you know the captain the first officer and the security chief that that they've got in O'Brien Data and Troy and and you know because they've been such dicks so far they don't want to just give them the run of the ship now that they realize that it's like you know a pretty a pretty reasonable request that they have so they're like, all right, we're just going to give you access to a transporter in Cargo Bay 4. No big deal. Like, we're going to go down there. You guys can use the transporter to get these remains, and, like, it'll be a chill situation. We'll get out of there. Before Picard gives himself over to the three and ten forward, his last words to Riker are, If LaForge and Roe can attempt a rescue, in short order, then let them proceed. If they can't... I will provide you with another opportunity. Watch for it. He points two fingers at his own eyes and then points back at Riker, like, <laughs> like, look at me. Watch out for this. I'm going to give yeah. you a chance. And that is revisited at this moment because by telling the bridge that they're moving to Shuttle Bay 4, Riker gets hip to the idea that, oh, yeah, Shuttle Bay 4 is the one where we can blow the door and alien queen these guys out <laughs> into space. <laughs> Yeah, they can, they can, uh, they can tell these guys to get away from her, you bitch. Right, exactly. So Riker tells Roe, like, "Hey, if it becomes necessary, Ensign, he'll blow the cargo bay hatch on my orders." Because we might have to do that to to get control of the ship again. Right, and what this means is, like, they've they've, like, the deal with Captain Picard becoming one of the hostages is that. They've gotten rid of all hostages aside from Keiko and Worf. Um, they let Keiko's baby go. They let everybody else go. But uh, they are like they're like perp walking Picard, Worf, and Keiko down to Cargo Bay Four, and it's it's a really tense scene, right? Like they're walking through the hallways, and there's Dustbuster Jacks like hanging out. At I bet they're glad they left the baby in Ten Forward. You don't want to perp walk a baby. No, yeah. Super annoying. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, they never they never behave. And so they're they head down to the cargo bay and they're like getting getting everything set up. And um at this point like they don't they just don't like the the way these guys are acting. Like they're I think they would have been prepared to help, but the hostage situation continues. So they're like we can't run run a ship this way, you know? Yeah, they keep capitulating, thinking that the negotiation is in good faith, but Picard keeps giving them shit, and the only thing they've gotten in return is the release of the rest of the hostages, save for Worf, Keiko, and Picard. Like, it's not really going great. Yeah. So on Shuttle Bay 4, they beam up the cremains of... (laughs) Of the rest of the the dudes on the planet, and at this well, it's point, like the, it's it's like the energy cloud that they saw, right? Yeah, luminous and, beings are we. And Troy does that thing that bad guys do, where she 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 tells him the true nature of the plan. Yeah, in that she's not actually the captain of the Eshik. She she is a she's a prisoner, and the planet is a penal colony, and everyone down there are prisoners. And they guess are, what, guys? They're thetans, dude. They're thetans. They're totally thetans. Holy shit! This is a this is the Scientology episode, isn't it? I I uh, it 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 hit me in this scene. These are this is exactly what Zenu, the the villain of Scientology, is reputed to have done to uh, the Earth. And the entrepreneur kinda... is a seven forty seven filled with nuclear warheads. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, I was like, almost, almost tempted Adam to do some research to see if whoever penned this was a, a Scientologist, but I didn't. So we'll just have to speculate. Yeah. Written by Leah Remini. <laughs> Please don't sue us. <laughs> so, so Troy cops to the to the truth of the matter that that they've basically beamed up an entire penal colony. Yeah. And uh and, and Picard's uh, like, "I know. I yeah, knew she, you weren't the captain of the Essex." Yeah. She's like, "I'm not actually the captain of the Essex. I'm Beck." <laughs> and Picard's like, "Guess what? Riker's got his finger on the button to blow this door. He's going to kill everyone here because yeah. I'm willing to die for the ship. Worf's willing to die for the ship." Everyone here is willing to die, especially Data. The guy who's inhabiting Data knows how willing Data is to die. Just look at his ship. pants. There's a fucking tent in that in that pair of pants. He's so excited. He's ready to get alien queened. <laughs> and they sort of realize the Mexican standoff situation that they're in right now. Yeah. It is mutually assured vacuum of space that's, that's going to happen. Right, and, and like they're... They don't have a hope in hell. Like so so Picard is like, listen, like you guys can go back to being in prison or you can be blown out into space. One of the one of the two, you pick. Yeah, and I guess they choose going back to prison. I thought that was a weird choice. Like I might I might have rather died than go back to the planet. If it's as bad as they said it was. And they said it was extremely bad. Well the data one wouldn't have died, would it? No, that's right. Yeah, Data should have chosen the door. Yeah, Data should have been like, I'm cool. <laughs> I, I happen to know that Lore did this a uh, couple seasons ago, and, and it worked out great for him. He ran into some pack leads. 
yeah, uh, Data could just uh, thumb a ride. He'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, it just uh, reaches into his pocket and puts in that novelty-sized thumb. This doesn't make sense. So they take the deal. They get beamed back down to the planet, and that's our button. That is our button. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. Well, that's the end of the conflict, Ben, but the button actually occurs when Keiko and O'Brien are reunited, and O'Brien's like, you know, I wasn't actually going to shoot our baby with a phaser, right? And Keiko's <laughs> like, yeah, I knew that. And they're back to normal. But here's my question, Ben. Like, can you ever really forget the moment that your husband holds a, holds a phaser up to your baby? I gave you that. I really thought about that. Like, I, uh, like there's so many examples of marriages where something outside of the control of one partner kind of poisoned them for the other partner. Right. I thought exactly the same thing. This is the this is the moment where husband gets too drunk and accidentally hits the wife. Totally. And it's up to Keiko to go like, he would never do that. It's never going to happen again. But she can't guarantee that O'Brien's not going to get taken over by a ghost prisoner right. ever again. And- and this guy's got a whole seven seasons of Deep Space Nine ahead of him. Like, what are the chances he doesn't get taken over a few more times? It's going to happen. It's almost, <laughs> in, it's almost like assured. A, that's fucking money in the bank that that's going to happen at some point in Deep Space Nine, Adam. And, like, that's the thing, Ben. I think you could, you could make this episode twice as good if you give us the scene at the end of that where... O'Brien and Keiko get into bed. Keiko rolls over. O'Brien rolls over, and Keiko can't sleep. Like, yeah. how dark is that? Give me that button, because there is yeah. no way they're going back to normal after this. Or give me the button where, like, you you take Jordy out, you put Keiko in, and Troy is promising her that through lots and lots of hard work over time, they are going yeah. to put put her faith in miles back together yeah maybe miles can't be around the baby for a time like because because keiko just is a uh, is ptsd'd over it like they uh the, miles has to move in with with data and uh and we have like an odd couple sitcom for a couple of seasons <laughs> while that all gets worked out there are like the stakes that occur during the story, during the episode, and then there are sort of retroactive stakes that you can apply uh, during the button, and they choose not to apply them here. Like by doing that at the end, you make what came before even more powerful. Right. And it's a missed opportunity. It would have been nice. I mean, you don't have to make this a story arc, but it's as it is, it's just a total bottle bottle episode mm-hmm. well did you like this episode adam yeah yeah i think i did i mean in spite of i think a lot of times the problems that i have with this show is is the show not going all the way on something the show mm-hmm. not going full dark <laughs> so i think maybe the maybe the reason i can't love this episode is that there are so many opportunities to do that and they yeah. just don't quite go all the way. But I still like the episode. It's fun to see some real interesting counter-character work happen. And I'm a sucker for a Body Snatchers 
storyline. I, I think those are always fun. I think uh, one thing that viewers know about me is that my favorite, one of my favorite types of films is heist film. Yeah. And uh, a film that I consider to be one of the greats in the heist film genre is The Negotiator. Mm. And uh, this had this had a lot of like echoes of that for me. Um, I I I love a good like standoff. You know, police have like pulled the cars up around the outside of the bank and gotten on the other other side of the car and aimed all their pistols at the bank. This felt like that in the twenty fourth century. You know. Yeah, yeah, it did. It was it was a well executed version of that, and and. Uh, well, I, that's I doing some real Star Trek as a place work, isn't it? Exactly. Like I, I think you can this do is the a, negotiator in Star Trek. There's, there's. This is a genre of episode that they don't do very often. Yeah. So uh, for that reason, I really liked it. It seems like hostage taking would be just as frequent as first contact, and in right. fact, it seems like something that would happen quite a bit during first contact would be some hostage taking. Like that moment is so fraught. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really like this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I think we, uh, I think we need to move on Adam because there is a very urgent message coming in over the transom. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income. Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, great news. We've got a commercial message uh, here today. And it's it's for faith physics. This is a satirical sci-fi novella that recounts how scientists have managed to contact the afterlife and interrogate departed souls. Worldwide chaos ensues and religion, science, and personal hygiene are revolutionized in the process. From the search for hell to the final frontier of faith, the interested reader can learn all about the science of the afterlife. Listeners who appreciate the tone of the greatest gen might enjoy the sarcasm and the enlightenment spirit of faith physics. This sounds really great. It's now out on Amazon. Faith physics, an introduction to the science of the afterlife... And it's uh, part absurd sci-fi, part satire of religion, and part popular science. This is a book. Yeah, that's uh, from the sound of it. Cool. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up on Amazon and take a look. Sounds This sounds right up my alley. I'm, I'm in the market for a book. I'm intrigued about the personal hygiene aspect. Yeah. I think you could do a lot with that. That does sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, Faith Physics from Andrzej Bikanski. There you go. That's the one. Oh, I like the cover. It's a, uh, it's a chicken breathing fire. <laughs> cool. Well, check that out. Uh, yeah. Do we have another message, Adam? Yeah, we do. We have a personal Priority One message. This is from Brian, and it is for Steve. Message goes like this. Happy B-Day, little brother. You're the big dog Star Trek nerd in our family, but I introduced you to the greatest gen pod. It's worth a few scarves to rub it in. Here's some more years of male pattern loaf, raising your lals <laughs> with she who is your wife, grilling Hoosnock the fifth meat, 
<laughs> I'm someday viewing Star Trek Undiscovered Shimoda by Ivan and Adam. Hey, that's great. Those are a lot of references in, in 350 characters, Ben. Yeah, I don't think that we are allowed to talk about whether or not a fifth meet is even a plausible reality. Uh, I'd have to reread our contract with MaximumFun.org, but uh, I know but that's that... Uh, a, that's a reference to the Beef and Dairy Network, isn't it? It sure is, yeah. You know what? You can say you're the big dog Star Trek nerd, but until until you're the guy that discovers Greatest Gen for you and your family, right? Like, you've you've given up that title. Mm-hmm. Brian is clearly the big dog in this relationship. <laughs> yeah, that is a. Uh, you've bought you've brought birthday shame on your family, Steve. Brian did something great. He enjoys Greatest Gen and shares that enjoyment with his friends and family. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's, that's a really, that's a gift that keeps on giving because we we put these out two a week, baby. That's one of the best birthday gifts right there. Happy birthday, Steve! Yeah, from us happy too. Birthday. Well, if you want to send a message, you can go to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. It's a uh, hundred bucks for a personal message or two hundred for a commercial, um, and uh, helps helps support the show. Helps us uh, helps us make this worth our time. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? <laughs> did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Uh, I did. Uh, for the second episode in a row, I'm giving the Shimoda honors to Lieutenant Worf. Um, there's, uh, in that button scene, the, uh, the like, nearly the slide whistle that we go out on they're uh, they're like walking down the hallway with, uh, with with Troy talking to the captain and Data talking to Worf, and they've uh, they've given up their ghosts, and Data is kicking it to Worf. He's like, "Hey man, like, really uh, want to apologize for what a dick I've been to you over the past forty four minutes? Um, that wasn't cool." And uh, I really apologize. And Worf is like, nah, nothing, think nothing of it. I, I am fine. And Data's like, no, your restraint was remarkable. And uh, I got a big laugh out of Worf's line. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it would, have, it would have been really fun to see Worf go just buck fucking wild and not show any restraint you know we can guess the end to that right like there's there's no way Worf could beat him like Worf would be ripped loaf from head <laughs> <laughs> indeed he would at him but uh, but that would not cause give him any pause in trying right like he would yeah. he would still go for it yeah uh, how about yourself? Did you have a Shimoda? So the moment in the episode where Troy, Data, and O'Brien are moving toward 10 forward, uh, they're being chased by security, and they're sort of trotting through the corridor. Mm-hmm. There, There is a civilian in the hallway. and I think I is, know the civilian you're talking about, Adam. Uh, he is... He's wearing bugle boy pleated pants and a red shirt. He is yeah. just... He's ultra cash. Have this you seen someone... the the discussion about this on our uh, various social networks, Adam? I have. I have. And 
the reason that I'm bringing him up is that I would like to also call attention to that ongoing discussion. Yeah. This is this is the first time we've seen him in a while, and he's back. Well, I think I shimoted him in um in a recent episode where he's like playing chess and some banger gets dropped on the ship and he's like trying to hold the chess board together. Yeah. Yeah. He he cares more about his chess game than Troy does against data. Yeah. But we should talk about this on the show because we haven't really dug into it. Is this the show where we talk about it? I, I hate to say this, Adam, but I almost wish I almost want to do a little bit of reading on the, on the subject before we really dig deep. Yeah, maybe we'll return to this later. But this guy gave me great joy to see him once again. Yeah. His bugle boy pants are very familiar to anyone who wore pleated khakis in the (laughs) early to mid-90s. Sure. Uh, He's got sort of a braided belt Mm -hmm. in the loops. Uh, It's it's almost unbelievably blousy, uh, the fit of these pants. And they are pulled up right below the pectorals. So they are... They're really high waisted, sort of yeah. a sort of an empire cut to <laughs> these pants. Uh. Yeah, so uh, maybe a conversation to have later. But he's my Shimoda for now. Yeah, the red shirt, white pants guy. Yeah. Darmok, Angelad, and Tanaga. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What are we watching on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is season five, episode 16, Ethics. Loyalty and ethics clash when a paralyzed dwarf asks to help him commit suicide. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Who writes these? Worf's like, uh, hey, Riker, I'm going to need you to go into my apartment and grab just anything on my counter. Uh, (laughs) Anything on my counter is filled with poison, covered in poison, or has the ability to kill. So just retrieve any of those items and bring it to six bay for me. Uh, I'm going to do the job here. I I feel like this is an episode that is bad, but I, I'm not sure if I just have like a, I confuse this with the clip show, maybe like I have like an, an emotional cross current between this and the clip show. My recollection of this is that I don't like sad wharf. Yeah. Sad wharf is a real bummer. And I would have expected more from Worf too. Like as a warrior, like he his uh, his willingness to give up very early when faced with a challenge like this was disappointing to me. This is going to be another Alexander episode, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Got to bring him back. Got to pull at the heartstrings, Ben. Yeah. Would you Would you have vetoed had you had a veto here? No, I don't think so. Would you have? Yeah. I don't. I don't think so either. I mean, I I know that this isn't like like the the show that we like to mess with, but um, but maybe I, I'm prepared to be proven wrong about that. And I I I'm unsure enough about my memory of it that I feel like I want to I want to give it a try. Are you prepared to crack wise about suicide? <laughs> Are you prepared to make some funnies? This is a this is a season that is is uh, constantly challenging our ability to be silly, silly boys. Season five is a very special season, isn't it? Sure is. Well, that'll be here next time on the Greatest Generation, Adam. Uh, yeah, Ben, always here for us, our, our uh, legion of viewers. 
who we really appreciate going out and reviewing the show. Reviewing the show is probably the best way to spread the word on yeah. the goodness that is Greatest Gen. Uh, other ways you can keep in touch is by uh, using the Twitter and the hashtag Greatest Gen. Uh, ben and I are on there as at Cup for Time and Benjamin R, A-H-R. Yeah, uh, they're great Reddit and Facebook groups. There's the Ron Canada Reddit page. Right, sure. Uh, there's, uh, of course, our Gmail account, drunkshimoda at gmail.com. If you have any anything you want to bring up with us, like, for example, if you have some criticism of the show and you'd rather not leave a steaming turd on an, I- on an iTunes page, but just pick it up directly with the people who you have a gripe with. That's a mature way to handle your problem. Right. So... <laughs> We're, uh, we're very responsive to those things. I mean, I think that we get enough email now that we don't get to everything. But if somebody has a real problem, uh, we really pride ourselves on trying to address it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to be cool about it. Yeah. We can, we can accept constructive criticism. Absolutely. It's the, uh, it's the blindsided by super negative criticism that we are not crazy about. No, not at all. Well, on that note, we should thank uh, Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for our great other music uh, coming soon to an EP near you. (laughs) And uh, with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and another episode of The Greatest Generation that asks you to help it commit suicide. another episode of the greatest generation that asked to help you commit suicide (laughs) oh boy please don't (laughs) please don't please don't take that request for action let me let me retake it that asks you to help it commit suicide oh yeah that's better that's that's less dark (laughs) <laughs> I think it's got to be that one. We notice right. our we notice our download numbers go way down. Alright, I'm hitting stop. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.